Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Prog Notes, where we bring you reviews from the progressive rock archives. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are looking at a fantastic album by the band Yes, called Fragile, that was released in 1971. Around this time, actually, Drew, it was November 26th, 1971. Ah. That's right. That's right. So this is the fourth studio album of Yes out of 21 studio albums that they wrote. And uh, which is a ton, of course. And uh, the members of this band include John Anderson, Steve Howe, Rick Wakeman, Chris Squire, and Bill Bruford. And those are five out of many musicians that were in the revolving door of Yes over the course of their career. Uh, they had 19 full-time musicians as a part of the band. And uh, I, I, I can't... I can't seem to deny that this lineup was the best lineup that Yes ever had. Would you agree? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. This is they. There was just a great mix of virtuosity and uniqueness and personality that was just perfect for this lineup. Yeah. And so, uh, no, are they are they still together? Like, is Yes? Because I remember. I went to go see Yes in 2014, and when I saw yeah. them on that tour, they were promoting a new album. Yeah, it, I think they are still touring. I just don't think that they have. Well, obviously Squire's gone because he's he passed away. Passed away bases. in 2015. So I don't yeah, know that, right. if they've decided to stop because of that. Because fun fact for everyone as well, uh, Chris Squire is the only consistent member that has appeared on every single Yes album. He is the only Chris one. Squire. Chris Squire is the sole member of Yes that has appeared on every single album. By wow, yes. I didn't yep. know that. Yep, I thought I thought if if I could have if I would have guessed that I would have guessed Steve Howe. But no, no, that's awesome. Because remember, Steve Howe went off and did stuff with Asia and uh, I think GTR, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Um, so he went off to do some stuff with that, and uh, but Yes was still going. Then Chris was the kind of the brain behind it. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So that's why I asked is, uh, you know, I, I, oh, yeah. I don't know if uh, if they're still doing anything without him there anymore. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Well, this band was formed in 1968. I think the co-founders were John Anderson and Chris Squire. But am mm -hmm. I right about that? Yeah, Correct. yeah. So, yep. so John Anderson, the vocalist, and Chris Squire, the bass player, uh, co-founded Yes in 1968. And, uh, of course, this is their fourth studio album that came out in 71. So they stayed pretty busy right when they right when they formed. Um, this is actually the first album to feature their new keyboard player, Rick Wakeman. And we're going to talk a lot about him in a little bit. Uh, but also, I think this is a very, very unique album and a great introductory album uh, to Yes because of the, I guess, the flavor that gets brought into it. Because every single one of the members have kind of their own solo song. Isn't that right, Drew? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a cool kind of uh, combination between, okay, this is Rick Wakeman's song, or this is John Anderson's song, and you can, you know it as that, and then hearing the other tracks on the album complement that, where everyone contributed, and it was more of a collaborative uh, process, so. Yeah, yeah, so the way this album is structured is they have kind of what I call pillar tracks, which are the collaborative tracks, and then every single one of the members in the band get their own quote-unquote solo venture, solo song that they wrote uh, personally, by themselves. I have to ask, what? Where did that that term come? Your term pillar for the collaborative tracks. I just have to ask. Um, <laughs> I don't really, I don't really know. I guess it's just a word that came to mind. I think, I think pillar is 
to me, I don't know. It seems like they're kind of the uh, the core tracks oh, of, of the album. As in P-I-L-L-A-R, like a pill. <laughs> I, oh my gosh. Not even like a, like a taking a pill, but you just put an E-R at the end. Oh, <laughs> that's, no, that's not what I meant at all. You just take it. Holy cow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I swear. That's actually what I thought. In preparation of wow. this, referring to that, I was like, what is he talking about? Yeah, that's that's something else. That's right. something else. I'm so sorry. Okay, that makes so much more sense. I kind of get yeah. like it's the yeah, yeah, yeah. like the, the, the core strong. core tracks of the album. Yeah, yeah. The core track. Okay. I get that. One hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, but yeah, that's it's really it's a really unique album. Um they oh yes was inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017 finally finally so which is which is fantastic but before we kind of how we're going to lay this out for everyone listening is that we are going to talk about each of the individual members and their solo tracks so we really really get a glimpse of who they are um in in terms of their personal track their solo track quote unquote and uh which is then going to um explain a lot about how the pillar tracks yeah how the pillar tracks work. <laughs> yeah. The, how they, how the, the collaborative tracks uh, really get to express. Cause the, oh my God, they're incredible. Um, before they, before uh, we launch, we launch into that even, I want to uh-huh. give a little bit of context as to who yes was and their mark on this, on this. So I would say, absolutely. You, you have a list of, of bands that really influence the genre, just like you do with any, you know, musical genre is like, okay, this is attached to this artist in, was influential in, in that this, they would be at the top. Yes. Would be at the top of progressive rock. Uh, Absolutely. Starting out, they were one of the very first pioneers and they were massively influential. And I think that uh, circling back to how unique this album is, this is where they kind of made that yes sound that people understood and came to identify. Um, so anyways, yeah. they, started out doing less ambitious stuff than this, right? It was kind of typical at that point to still do the two or three minute songs, right? In the late sixties, mm-hmm. they were at a gig one time in, uh, somewhere in England, I believe. And they saw King Crimson, which was also one of the, the first, um, progressive rock bands. Yeah. Well, you'll definitely uh, see them on this show in the future. Yeah. We'll definitely review King Crimson, but they saw a, a gig of King Crimson and uh, they were blown away. I think particularly Chris and John, right? The two founders. And um, they said, we've got to do stuff to be more like them. We have to. I love what they're doing. It's more ambitious. It's more technical. It's more artistic. This is the direction we need to go. We need to get to that level. And I, I think you see that on this album. You know, a, a couple albums later, they they crank out this. And uh, it's it's phenomenal. It's a great album. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it, but it really shows the uniqueness of the band. They're a very sure. easy distinction. They're a very easy band to identify. You listen to them, the vocals, the raunchy Chris Squire bass, all of it. Oh, yeah. Um, well, most, most people probably recognize that opening track, Roundabout, right? That's that's yeah. one of their most popular songs. And it was on this album. It was the opening track to this album. So Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, let's let's start talking about the individual tracks here for a second. We're going to listen to a couple of these and talk about the individual members for a second so you get an idea of who these band members are. And then we'll talk about the collaborative tracks uh, afterwards. So 
This is We Have Heaven, which is uh, John Anderson's solo track the on vocalist. the album. The vocalist, yep. And uh, he has a very distinctive voice. It's <laughs> it's like... He does. He, he you, 100% you, does. There's no one else that I know that sounds like John Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think there's... He, has a, he just has a very, very high voice, which is... I think a misnomer to a lot of people because they think he's singing falsetto and that's just not that's not the case at all um he just has a very very high voice high tenor voice yeah. and uh it just is normal voices like that but i really love john anderson's writing as well as as his uh his his vocals um i, I think that personally i think this is the first progressive rock band besides arguably the beatles that really used harmonies with vocals very often as a part of the texture in the music prog rock i think most of the time earlier um and even after yes or other bands that were around the time um really never did that i think it was more instrumental focused and the vocals were just kind of there and maybe they were dug down in the mix a little bit or not the forefront of the music like a pop song is but with yes, I, I agree. I agree. With, with yes, he has a very distinctive voice. He has a very good voice, and he uses these really tight harmonies a lot throughout their music. And I think that's something that is really, really cool for Yes's sound and very, very distinctive. That I think a lot of people love about him. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, and actually, I mean, you know, when they recorded, they they didn't like double it with his own voice again. Oh, of Chris course. And Steve were singing uh, harmonies, I believe. Yeah on the actual tracks themselves. But yeah, on that one that we just heard, we have heaven. It's super cool. And you can, you can absolutely tell that this is the vocalist song. Oh because yeah. Of how many layers of vocals there are. Yeah. Which is really cool. It's super neat to, uh, to hear that. I don't hear that too often where there are different melodies of vocals and, and lyrics even, uh, going mm-hmm. on all at the same time. And it just kind of, it builds, it builds up uh, a whole lot. And, really what builds the most is, is the vocals, right? Yeah. And the rest of the band kind of builds up a little bit too, but that's super neat. Super neat to see all these layers kind of come together. Uh, one being piled on after the other, and it still complements the previous, you know, melody. So yeah, really yeah. cool. Um, <clears throat> now I think John did a fair amount of the writing on the lyrics too. I believe uh, you're right with his song, obviously. Now, if anyone asks me to really break down lyrics for yes, that is a that's a tall mountain to climb for me <laughs> i mean it's it's not steely dan but it's still pretty hard <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's right because it's uh it's just out there it's just weird it's very abstract it's kind of like okay i'm inside someone else's mind and like they're not really showing me where things are in here. Like I'm inside his mind and I see some weird stuff. There's nothing yeah. that's really bringing it down to my level that I can understand. Like he, he's just got very abstract, very out there lyrics that, okay, what does this mean? I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. But, but, he, think but he also plays, uses a lot of imagery as well, especially on yeah. this album. And I think that plays back into the idea that they wanted to bring a rock to a more elevated and artistic uh, community. And you can you can tell there's the, you have to analyze those lyrics to get what he was saying. You kind of have to put in more work if you kind of want to know what the song means. And they, yeah. they you know they were a bit more academic, they were a bit more uh, theatrical, and so they they had subtext in their lyrics and all this stuff instead of you know 
when rock and roll was coming around and even in the seventies and eighties with hair metal bands and all that stuff where yeah. it was just all about sex, drugs and rock and roll. That wasn't really what they were promoting with their lyrics. So, uh, yeah. And, and he's, I think the imagery matches the cover art very well too. It's, it's, there's a lot of uh, landscape um, that, that is, that is talked about throughout this entire album. And right. uh, well, John, think, yeah. Sorry. I just, I think that the, the album artwork is very appropriate for this album. It's very, it reflects oh, a lot of, course. it's just, it's kind of this weird broken world and this person, like this ship looking over it. And I'm kind of like, that kind of reminds me or, or makes me think of, okay, I'm listening to each individual band members um, song, but it's all part of the same world. Yep. So it's really cool. It's all like part, of the same band, part of the same world. But that's what I see when I hear this and knowing about the album that I think that's a very appropriate um, image for that, for this album. Yeah. And, and outside of yes, he's done a lot too. I mean, he has, he has 13 solo albums just by himself. Who does J John Anderson. Oh, John Anderson. Oh yeah. yeah. He's got 13 solo albums and he's also, I, I think another thing that's, that comes out in yes's sound is actually his, uh, his accent. Because his father is Scottish and his mom's Irish, so, and he actually he sings with his accent. If you if you listen to it, you'll hear it. it's like it's uh he he sings with his accent. I know a lot of the time, like especially uh like British singers and stuff like that, you you can't you wouldn't tell that they are British and they're singing, but when they start speaking, uh, right, you, you can tell that oh yeah they're they're from the UK or uh, or wherever. Um, right. But he he impl he implements his accent and and yes his material, which I think is uh which I think is pretty cool. So, um, but shifting gears from John Anderson, we have Mr. Steve Howe and Steve Howe is the guitar player, of course, of, uh, of yes. And, uh, this song is called mood for a day, which is, uh, another solo guitar track. That's, uh, there was a previous album, the yes album where he had a, uh, solo guitar track. And, uh, I, I love, I love this song. Because I'm a I'm a uh, I'm a pretty big sucker for Spanish guitar, uh, like flamenco guitar, and and this is yeah, it this is very and it's so pretty. It's really pretty. Yeah. It is. It's a beautiful piece. And I think I think Steve Howe is a uh, he's one of my favorite guitar players personally for me because he is he is the guitar player that has not followed the general style of guitar people have been playing. He really just ignored stylistic guidelines completely. Um, I mean, he has, throughout the playing on Yes's material, I mean, he has elements of like sophisticated harmonies, um, jazz phrasing, uh, like polyphonic melodies, um, classical, like chamber music. But then he also has like grit, uh, like, like a grit of like country and the rawness of rock music and rock and roll. He, I mean, you cannot put Steve Howe in a box of saying he's a rock guitar player or any or a jazz guitar player. He plays the guitar like a true instrument. I, I love Steve Howe's playing. If you sit down and give this song the attention it deserves, it's just, it's breathtaking. It really is. It's one of those where you, you, can, you can hear the person's breath next to you yeah. because you're so... It's, it's like like the dynamics that he brings to it, right? There, there's just, he lets the guitar breathe too. You know, it's just, it's very, I mean, which I guess makes sense with a solo track, 
uh, on an acoustic guitar, but it's it's brilliant that there are no lyrics or anything yeah. like that. That the, the, the guitar is singing to you, and it's just a, it's a very Absolutely. lilting, beautiful piece. Yeah, he's he also most of the material that Steve Howe writes to is very riff driven, and I really like that because it keeps things catchy in the instrumental side of the music. He's he's very rarely striking a bunch of chords or power chords, right. or just hitting a bunch of chords over and over. And like, you know, a, a pretty popular rock song um, or something similar right. to yet or uh, something similar to Rush where there's a lot, you know, a lot harder playing. He's a Steve Howe is is a much more sophisticated, um, you know, uses uh, very he's a very rhythmic player. Um, a lot of his guitar playing is very dreamlike and very, very loose. And uh, it's 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 phenomenal listening to him. I love all of his solo pieces because he has a few, I think, on in the Yes discography. But uh, he's also just a phen- he's a phenomenal guitar player. He's he's a whole new ecosystem of musical progression. Period. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I would yeah. describe him. He's I love him. He's he's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So shifting gears here into uh, Mr. Rick Wakeman, and uh, I am super excited to talk about him on the show because i think drew yeah never mind this is right yeah this is the first prog legend keyboard player on the show mr rick wakeman yeah yeah i would legend yeah oh yeah i I mean prog legend you know just a true prog legend so at the time of when rick rakeman was entering uh tony k was on his way out which was the last keyboard player and um i heard this actually from uh from another podcast actually somebody said that rick wakeman is the architect for progressive rock keyboards and uh that can be argued but i also to a certain degree definitely agree with them this guy really really paved the way for keyboards in the progressive rock area yeah well because he was experimenting with a lot of sounds experimenting with a lot of sounds and that's what yes one that's what chris and john really wanted because that was part of the reason they, they let tony go was because tony k because he wasn't willing to really expand his sound yeah that much yeah they wanted a lot of new stuff because they wanted it to be artistic they wanted it to be new they wanted to see what they could explore creatively and uh, they knew new technology was coming out, so they should explore that. Yeah, um, I love that about so, them. Yeah, and so Rick Wakeman, um, you know, when he joined, he said, "Yeah, absolutely. I've got like you know, dozen keyboards. Yeah, <laughs> play around with them, make some cool sounds. Yeah, but he's also a phenomenal um, instrumentalist. Yeah, he's a phenomenal player. Oh yeah, and that um, that song was called Cans and Brahms, which is actually Brahms' Fourth Symphony rearranged a little bit. I think it's barely close to the original, but it's still rearranged just slightly um and that's right. that's his solo solo venture but on that's there. that's something we i think mentioned maybe in the first episode of um of, of our show is that there's a, a fair amount of classical influence in progressive rock very um, and so this is just blatant in your face influence uh well he's classically trained so, rick wakeman's classically yeah. trained he's a classically trained uh keyboard player organ yeah you know, he played organ in church you know <laughs> growing up well a lot of these prog rock legends uh especially from england in the uk they grew up in kind of that typical uh church environment you know where you know or went to a prep boy school i mean you know i know that's how genesis started oh yeah um, they went to 
think of Christian school together and all of that. And that's just, you know, so a lot of them have that influence of classical music and or hymnals, right? Traditional yes. music. Um, so it, it's anyways. Yeah. So uh, that definitely finds its way into a lot of the music uh, in the subgenre of progressive rock. So, oh, yeah. And Rick Wakeman on the on the sleeve is credited on the album with playing Hammond organ, grand piano, electric piano, and harpsichord, Mellotron, and Mini Moog synthesizer. So they certainly uh, got what they wanted when they said that we're going to kick Tony K out so we can, you know, mess around with more other, you know, other keyboard sounds. Um, Rick Wakeman was definitely the right. person to do it. And what I love about actually, and, and I mean, let me ask you this, Drew. Do you think that, yes, do you think that this album would be had the success that it did if it was or if it what weren't for Rick Wakeman? No, but but I mean I feel like you could argue that with 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 a lot of the members like you mentioned with Steve Howe. I mean he was such an incredible writer too. Yeah, but no, I agree with you that it would have been very different if they didn't have that keyboardist because I think a huge part of okay we'll take for example Roundabout. That's a big song. That was a really big song, and I think what people part of what they loved about that song was that epic keyboard solo in the middle. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah, it's just such an iconic part of that song. It's an incredible piece. Uh, and, you know, if Wakeman hadn't been there, it wouldn't have been done. Um, and they wouldn't have experimented with those other keyboard sounds and progressed even more in future albums uh, because of what he brought to the table. Yeah. So, no, I think it would have been fairly different and probably would not have been as successful if they didn't have someone as ambitious and yeah. talented as Wakeman. So, I, I think that the, also just the, the relationship between Steve Howe and Rick Wakeman really, really, uh, because with him entering, obviously they had to learn to write with this guy. And I think that the relationship they had, they seemed to duet a lot on this album with, with the melodies, because I mean, they're, they're Steve Howe and Rick Wakeman are writing the core melodies of the music and right. they do a phenomenal job working with each other. I think for, for, a, for a first album and they, I mean, I don't know how long they knew each other before they started writing, but there's just a lot of uh, very, very intricate pieces between the guitar and the keyboard that they that they uh, played on this album, which is really cool. Yeah, specifically Long Distance Runaround. I don't know if you have that one pulled up or not, but I don't. They're they're just gonna go have to listen. You're just gonna have to go listen to that one. Yeah, listen to that one. Um, long Distance Runaround is one of those pillar tracks. That's right. <laughs> Destin, you know, popping rough. pills, baby. <laughs> Freaking all- weird, man. The members that all the members uh collaborated on and uh but the beginning is uh keys and guitar and they're both playing the exact same thing at the exact same time and it's really neat uh to see that so i i think that's uh an example of what you were talking about destin of them writing together and kind of complimenting uh each other's yeah you know, sound and and, and with the the guitar like when when rick wakeman is playing like soloing on the keys you can tell steve howe is almost kind of like trying to like like one up them it's hilarious. Like they're, 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 they're like almost battling against each other, so to speak. Um, but also giving, letting them have their space. Uh, I don't think that they're completely clashing. I, I wouldn't say that at all because I think they did a phenomenal job writing together with each other. Um, so, okay, let's shift gears in here to Mr. Bill Bruford. And we're about to listen to the greatest thing you've ever heard in your entire life. You ready? This is I'm ready. this is the best thing. I this is probably the best song I've ever heard on this planet ever. All right? So just just embrace yourself. Here we go. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm it's... sorry. That's... <laughs> Uh, you, you, I mean, just you didn't, you didn't, you didn't see that coming. <laughs> no, it's whirling array of. It's weirdly choreographed because there is that, like there is a rhythm, and there are, you know, there are beats that it, they play the like that, that the bass is playing on. Yeah, it's like thirty, what thirty seconds, <laughs> it's forty, like thirty-nine seconds or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's weirdly choreographed because you hear it at first. I think first hearing that you're like, "Whoa, this is jumbled garbage!" Like, what <laughs> am I? And you think like if you're like, "Okay, so if this is reflective of their drummer, then what the hell?" He's granted. Bizarre. Granted, this is his first time uh, attempting a composition. Yeah, well, that and I mean, he's well, Bill Bruford. Let me put this out there. I mean, I know you're the drummer, Bill Bruford. Though for me, is my favorite drummer. He is my favorite drummer. He's phenomenal. I'll, I'll, I'll put that out there. Uh, some of his future work on his own and w- even with other groups. Uh, he's he's a nut. I mean, he's in a good in sense. In a really good how, sense, yeah. And in a really good sense of just his talent. I mean, he's an absolute genius yeah. behind the kit. I mean, he really is. Um, and that's what they needed to really enhance their sound and improve it and really get to the the same caliber of King Crimson as they needed a phenomenal drummer. Oh, yeah. And that's what they got with Bill Bruford when they, they, they put an ad out and um, they asked for anyone with a Ludwig kit. And exactly, right? <laughs> Bill Bruford said, yeah, I've got a Ludwig kit. Let's have me come in and audition. And of course, he blew them away. Um, but yeah, this, when you specifically referring to this song, which is called 5% for Nothing, it's, uh, it's weirdly choreographed. Uh, I wouldn't think many people would say this is their favorite Yes song. But... <laughs> interesting though i think there's a lot to break down and it's i still appreciate that it's on this album even though it's only 40 seconds and even though it sounds like just the swirling swish of bizarre chaos there's some weird cohesive coordination behind this like the parts where the, the 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 organ is playing just those those parts um where they're actual chords yep you know yep it gives mood. It gives like this kind of cool mood for like I don't know five seconds, and then it goes back to this. Yep. You know, yep. that's why it's called five percent for nothing. Not playing. Well, I think actually, that's referring. To, yeah, <laughs> I think that's actually. <laughs> yeah, I see what yeah. you. You like that? Uh, I like that a yeah. lot. Um, I think specifically that was referring to. Uh, Bruford getting pissed at the record label for taking money. I think he like was looking through a clause in their contract or something. And he's like, what is, why are you taking money out of this? Like, this makes no sense. Some of the stuff I understand you need to take money for. What is this? Yeah. And he couldn't get a really good answer to it. I don't think now this is, I'm oversimplifying the story, but I think this is basically what happened was he looked through it and he said, so basically what you're telling me is you guys are taking 5% of our paycheck for absolutely nothing. This is a BS clause here. Why you're taking this money from us. And, you know, they couldn't really do anything about it. They signed the contract, but he looked through it and he goes, this is 5% that we're giving them for nothing. And so he just decided to call this crazy, you know, <laughs> jargon or not jargon, but jumble of, of music, uh, 5% for nothing. So I love it. But pretty, but I mean, I, I know that like that, just that song is, well, I don't even know if you can call it a song, but whatever. It's like a 16 bar, just ridiculous. I mean, here's the thing on paper. It's crazy. <laughs> You know, like, but, but all in all, Bill Bruford, although this was his first attempt at composition, you know, he does, 
and I don't want to, I don't want to get real. I don't want to get too technical here, but there's a lot of interesting time signatures and beat placement, beat displacement, all kinds of cool stuff that's going on with the instruments and 5% for nothing. But overall as a drummer for yes, he only played on five yes albums. And this is the second to last because he quits to join King Crimson. Uh, but, um, and I think yeah. because of that was actually just because of a bunch of disputes between the band members, um, I think there was just too many egos in one oh, room. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, no, you're absolutely right. So I read, I heard a podcast and I want to give credit to this person, to this person who does a podcast because I, 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 some of this information, a lot of the information I've learned is, is from him. There's, if anyone's curious more about this, uh, there's uh, a podcast called In the Studio with Redbeard, uh, where this guy under his, his, alter ego of Redbeard. Uh, I don't know his actual name, but uh, he interviews a lot of classic rock albums and he interviewed Yes. And uh, you could tell, um, especially with, with Bill, he was just, he had difficulty working with the rest of the group. I think particularly with Chris Squire. Um, That's hard when you can't work with your bass player. Uh, yeah. And you're the drummer. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> They both, I think, had pretty big egos. They were both incredibly talented. Oh, they're all incredibly talented. Yeah. And uh, sometimes when you have that much genius in a room, the room just can't contain it, if you know what I mean. It so, implodes. Uh, it does. And so he, he laughed after a while. But, um, you know, the music they made together was phenomenal. And check out uh, the other stuff on the album with, with the drumming. It's phenomenal. I know, Justin, you, you're a big fan of oh, Bruford I love well. Bruford, yeah. And his, and, solo, uh, his solo ventures as well, because he's, what I really like about him is that he brings a jazzy style of playing to the flavor of yes. You know, that soup that we were talking about. Yeah. He brings in the jazz to that soup. And, you gotta uh, have a couple sprinkles of jazz in there. That's right. And uh, yeah, he provides that. That's right. I'm going to, I'm going to create a sweet CC's like ice cream flavor and I'm just going to name it. Yes. And all of the elements are going to be a part of it. And I'm going to take a picture of it and send it to you. It'd be phenomenal. Please do. I, I will, uh, I will, I will do, do that. that. I'll do that, Drew. Do it. Destin, do it. Drew. I will. You just said Drew. Okay, moving on. So, Bill, <laughs> Bill Bruford. Gosh. I, 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 lo I love this guy, and he, does, he just does a fantastic job of being groovy, but also being very, very spontaneous and different. I'll leave it at that, because that is that is my biggest thing with Bill Bruford, is that he's just incredibly creative. Um, his drum sound is very unique too. Uh, you, he play I forget the name of those things that he plays. Um, not the rotos. I think they are roto roto toms, um, and he uses those in, in King Crimson stuff. But I have a question for you, actually. Why why is Bill Bruford your favorite drummer? He, from what I've heard, he is just one of the most creative yet impressive at the same time, and I think. And also not show offy. I mean, you know, it makes sense on his solo album. I'm specifically thinking of one of a kind. Yes. Um, you know, with stuff like that, obviously the drum is highlighted. But with yes, like he doesn't overshadow any other instrument. It's not overplaying. Like there's a, a lot of groups where I think, wow, those those musicians are phenomenal. But there's one player who's upstaging the rest of them at this part. Overplaying. You know, like, oh, they're overplaying. They're overplaying, and I think with drums, it's it's easy for really talented drummers to just fall into that, to just kind of overplay. Let's play and fills every five seconds. Yeah, I, exactly. yeah, I get that exactly. And like you said, he's very groovy. So, you know, he's just he's super, he's super creative but tasteful at the same time. You know, he knows when to back off, and he fits the song 
just perfectly. Yeah. I think. He's just a fantastic drummer. Uh, he just knows. He just he's he's very well spoken too. He's a very intelligent guy outside of the drum kit. Oh, he's, he's incredible. A very very yeah. intelligent guy. And uh, yeah. So anyway, so moving from Bill Bruford, we end up to Mister the Fish, Chris Squire, and uh, the Fish's, uh, well, his solo song, but also his nickname. And we'll take a listen to this real quick. So Chris Squire and uh, Chris Squire, may he rest in peace. He passed away what three years ago. Is that right? Yeah, 2015. Um, I think he's the only band member of Yes to have, have passed away. Um, but Chris Squire and I, and I, I'll... Let, I'll, I'll implement what my um, opinion is about him because I want to see if it matches with yours because you're the bass player here. So I I love how he... I love the way his his style of playing. And it's not really necessarily a style. It's just a, cho- a, a matter of certain choices he made, you know, where he plays the Rickenbacker bass and plays with a pick. And, yeah. you know, he has really, really... Uh, loose strings so they slap a lot and they have these kind of raunchy bass licks and so it's just yeah he's it's an aggressive tone that he shapes it oh yeah and it's so melodic too that's the thing he almost plays the bass he's he doesn't play bass to take over the low end he plays it as like as a melody it's almost like there's another melody going on on top of the guitar and the and the keys to have these all kinds of counterparts playing with each other and that is what I love about Chris yeah. Squire is that he really he compliments Rick Wakeman and Steve Howe, but with a very groovy kind of holding the line down with Bill Bruford. And uh, absolutely his bass licks, it's it's cool because what I what I like a lot, and I think this is the difference between music nowadays and music back then. Um, music nowadays is very very percussion driven. You know the drums kind of carry the song with those you know the right. big massive bass drum and the you know the big snare and everything but you know back then back in you know 80s and 70s the bass guitar was was what carried the song you know all of these you know i mean for instance michael jackson uh with billy jean you know just these 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 driving bass bass um melodies and bass tones and everything um he almost and it's and i've listened to a lot because my father listens to a lot of r&b music um his bass lines and his bass licks remind me of an R&B tune, um, sure. because they're they're just they're so melodic and they drive sure. the song so well. And he's so yeah, easy I, to pick out when it when it comes to bass I players. He, he broke the mold, I think, for what the bass could be, and I think that's part of what makes prog rock what it is. Is that you know something like the bass is not simply a rhythmic instrument to play you know the the just play the root the root yeah note. yeah the root note you know here you know and, and hold it for four beats and then play this note for four beats and all that stuff very riff oriented and that's why i love getty lee so much but i think getty lee took a huge inspiration from chris squire definitely with um, his tone his tone absolutely i mean yeah, he they have a lot similar. of uh a lot of uh, like slappy picking kind of uh, well yeah what's what's the what? fuzzy um, kind of fuzzy raunchy sound uh that gives it this yeah, kind of a cuts, growl. yeah growls cuts through the mix really well so you can hear it 
But it's not it's not over it's not overdone because a lot of it is like you said it's kind of riff driven. So yeah, very. It's neat to hear that in a more melodic sense rather than just let me hold this note for a super long time and then hold this note for you know this whole bar and then all that. So um, not that there's anything wrong with that, of course, but it's just cool to see the bass kind of expand its role in the group and prog rock definitely did that and I think yes was one of the first Absolutely. ones. I think that Chris. Squire did a phenomenal job of letting people know, hey, look, look what the bass can, the do, bass the can do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You you put that well. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I think yeah, personally, I, 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 I think personally, um, the fish is the uh, the best solo uh, venture song in the album. Um, and mainly, mainly because I think even though Squire wrote it and he, you know, he played multiple different guitar parts and multiple bass parts and everything. Um, the other band members still got to pitch in a little bit, you know, uh, John Anderson puts in those kind of dreamy, uh, harmonies and stuff over the top and, yeah. uh, Hal's yeah. playing on it. Of course there's some keys and stuff. So I think that the, the fish is a, uh, a really solid song actually. Well, and it's funny cause nothing really changes. It's like the same thing, it really but it just keeps building like nothing, nothing, none of the instruments change to like a bridge section or a chorus or anything like that. It's basically the same melody over and over, but more and more instruments are added on top of it to build it, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty short song because of that, but that's super cool. It just starts out with this bass harmonic and the drums and it just builds from there and it gets so big. And like you said, eventually when you get to that part where John Anderson and the, uh, you know, other people singing harmonies in the background, um, it just gets so full. It's so yeah. neat. It's a cool song. It's a really cool song. And so these are the five members, of course, and, and there's solo tracks on it. When we come back, uh, we're going to listen to the pillar tracks or the uh, whatever you want to call them. The uh, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the word that you used before. I think I said like integrated collaborative. or collaborative, collaborative tracks. That's yeah, that's what it is. So yeah. when we come back, we're going to this is this is uh, South Side of the Sky, and uh, we're going to take a short break. So, South Side of the Sky. Um, this is one of the collaborative tracks that are on the album. One of my personal favorite Yes songs, period. This song. Yeah, it's cool. You get, I mean, this this is uh, just what we were talking about earlier with Rick Wakeman, with how he expanded the sound of keys in one song, right? You're hearing, you know, you know an electric keyboard or, or an organ right Absolutely. here. And then later on, and a huge iconic part of the song is this grand piano. He oh, plays, we gotta listen. We gotta later listen on to that. Yeah, I'll pull. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll roll that volume up so we can listen to that because <laughs> I love that part so much. But that's that's really neat. And you also hear what we were talking about earlier with Chris Squire and his really thick bass tone, right? Oh, yeah. Right. It's just so thick and aggressive and in your face. Um, and then John's vocals on top. Very of that, light. So so weird yeah. it's such a weird element to add in there but it works so well you got you got these jazz kind of jazzy drum kind of jazzy drum sound you have this real growly bass guitar and then you have yeah. the organ going on the classical elements of the organ and the grand piano and then you have the kind of you know these these very uh wild riff dri you know these guitar. really crazy riffs from the guitar and it's kind of like this yeah uh, it's pretty wild it's almost it kind of reminds me of a beatles guitar tone like this very uh 
very, very UK kind of amp sound, you know, and then on top of that, then we have John Anderson's, you know, dreamlike vocals and everything. It's, it's bizarre, man. It's bizarre. You know what it's like? Yeah. But it works so well. Oh, you can turn it Oh, up yeah, we got to listen. Want. We got to oh. listen to this. <laughs> listen to this, man. About to get creepy. Well, you can you can definitely see when you hear that the spotlight on Rick Wakeman, and almost like he's sitting on at a concert hall in a, oh yeah in a suit and t- you know in a bow tie yeah <laughs> you know? yeah it's just you you, you just kind of I do at least I kind of envision that for a second you just forget that there's a band for just a second and then they all come back in perfectly cohesive and you know it's weird you're saying it's a weird way. element it's like it's like Chicago mixed popcorn I don't know if anyone knows what that is some people don't. It's it's caramel popcorn and cheddar popcorn mixed together, and you're like, that sounds so wrong. Like that sounds nasty. What is wrong with you? And then you eat it, and you're like, oh my word, where has this been in my life? Because I need more of it. It's the that's it's the uh, it's that salt and it's, uh, it's that, what is it? The salt and sugar sweet mix. And, yeah, yeah, sweet and salty. salty. That's, yeah, there. A little it is. sweet and salty. But it's kind of like we were talking about. It's like an interesting little soup. You know, it's a little bit. It's a cool little soup. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna you're gonna take you're gonna take my soup analogy. I like that soup analogy. I, I'm pretty good analogy, <laughs> I think. And, and this, Gosh, this is, cool. Yeah, this is cool too. This section right here, you know, we also, we also got the, um, you know, kind of the, the, the uses of harmonies again. This is this is not. I don't think. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of other uh, prog bands that did this. They, they used vocals as, as a texture, as an element of the music too. Yeah, uh, and they kind of they kind of crisscross each other. Yeah. You they know, do. it's not the typical harmony where it's like I'm going to sing the harmony of that and just keep going. It's a separate melody. It's layers. You know what I'm saying? Layers. It's layers. Yeah, it's layers. They kind of weave in and out, and then they'll they'll kind of come together at the end and harmonize. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's not like like when I think of typical harmony, I think of Boston. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, or in the in this in the realm of rock, and uh, this is just such an interesting, different take. Right. It this is. is like a multitude of like angels singing at different points. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's not super just because it's almost com- it's not super over compressed. It's not in your face because it's not supposed to be in your face. It's supposed to be a texture of the music, and that's what I like about it yeah. compared to something like Boston, where Boston's just in your face with those harmonies. Yeah. You know. And uh, right. that's that's what I really like about Yes and the, and the usage of vocals and the usage of harmonies is that it really, uh, it's not supposed to be the forefront, but, but it fits. Yeah, and it's fading out right now and coming back to the piano, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's really cool. They did a, they did a really good job using the usage of vocals again, you know? And, I, you know, listening to the, the collaborative tracks you know, and going back to those individual composed tracks, I, I, I don't like to say that those, tr- that those songs are fillers, but... And obviously, somebody could probably see it as that. But looking at it years after the record was produced, it almost seemed necessary for people to fully understand the lineup and the personalities of the group at the time when it was produced. 
because right. these guys are so different. Yes, they are. They're all so different. And I don't know if that was something that they wanted to do as a gimmick or simply because they just had to crank out another album, you know, to make money. Because I think I read somewhere they were a starting band, which meant, okay, we need to tour and write new music and make more albums so we can sell those albums to get more equipment to make more cool music. So it could have been yeah. a deal where they just really needed to get another album out in order to have something to sell and tour with. Uh, and so they were like, hey, who, who's got a song? And so they just kind of all did their own song pretty quickly. I'm not sure. Or if they really thought, you know, it, was, it would be cool to, to feature each person on their own track. But either way, it's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. It, you, could, you could tell the personnel has a massive impact on the sound of Yes. And the sound of this album, particularly. You know, I don't think this album would sound the same if it didn't have these five guys. I completely agree. Yeah, which which is cool because it's almost like something was captured out of thin air. I mean, these five guys got together and wrote this album. And out of the 19 musicians that have been involved with, yes, you know, it's a uh, it, it, hard. You know, that, that was hard. It was really hard for, the, for all of those guys to get together and do that. And uh, it just, it created something. It was a tri- it's a triumph of an album. Yeah, with with these 100%. songs, it's a triumph of an album and uh, great feats of musical creativity. And uh, what I love about it is that even though they're all stellar musicians, they are equal on this album in terms of writing, virtuosity, creativity, everything. Right. And they are all equal. They in these collaborative tracks, you, I mean, they they fit together really well. They, they, they really do. And you can hear some of the aspects of what we were speaking of before about each of the members. You can hear how that flavor and that style comes into these collaborative tracks. And um, I just wish it lasted a little bit longer yeah. in, in their career. But uh, unfortunately, it didn't. Uh, but I'm glad that we got this album with it. So, um, Drew, out of the collaborative tracks on this album, which, which one is your favorite? Oh man, hold on. Let me take a let me take a look here real quick. Um make a check on it. I'm gonna... <laughs> um you know that's tough to say. I, I it really it really is. Those those yeah. those tracks are all so strong. There's Roundabout, South Side of the Sky, Long Distance Runaround, and Heart of the Sunrise. All of those are phenomenal tracks. They really are. They are. You know, if I had to say yeah. just because it gets so big i would have to say heart of the sunrise it just like anderson's vocals are always phenomenal but the end when it's just the the big finish at the end with his voice and it's so passionate it's that that's just you can't help but just get sucked into that and so i have to say heart of the sunrise that's for for me yeah and i would i would probably agree with you on that heart of the sunrise is probably my favorite but to wrap up here so uh wait 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 What's Wait, up? What's up? You didn't tell me your favorite. Oh, you want? Oh, you did favorite? say Heart of the Sunrise, well, didn't you? Well, I yeah, I, I agree with you on Heart of the Sunrise. Oh, okay, that that's it's one of my uh, it, it's my favorite on the album. Um, probably my one of my top five yes songs. Right. Wow. Uh, period. I mean, I, I, there's South Side of the Sky and Heart of the Sunrise. Those are both phenomenal songs. Right. Well, I just asked you a question uh, which you already answered, so I look stupid on this episode. So, if like if you could just go in, if you could go in and edit this out so I appear so much more more smarter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Well, well, we're we're running, getting up on time here. So to wrap this thing up, okay. So let's wrap this thing up, Drew. So somebody's listening to this. They've never heard of Yes before. They've never heard of. They've never heard this album. Um, why should somebody listen to Fragile? Why should somebody go and check this album out? Right. And I said we would circle back to this like we did at the beginning. Uh, I guess I'm kind of restating uh, the thesis here, or at least restating the, the question why you should listen to it. Is, uh, yeah. th- so yes, if, if you don't know of them, they're one of the most influential progressive rock bands out there. So if you want to learn anything about prog rock, definitely listen to one of their albums, and particularly with this era, I think. Because later on in their career, yeah. not to, to dog on them at all, but they kind of they got less experimental. I think. I yeah. think personally, new members, more eighties. Yeah, thing. yeah. Um, they they got into what they called their Yes West sound, which is when they moved to to California. Um, yep. But uh, I, uh, anyways. So yes, if you want to know all about them in this era, they were creating some musical gems. Uh, and this one, like I said earlier, is really where they start to identify their sound, or at least the sound I think of when I think of Yes, and I think a lot of people, when they think of Yes as the progressive rock band, you know, r- this is where it really shows, right? That sound starts to come into its own. Uh, it's cool that you see the individual tracks, but then you also see the collaborative tracks and see how each member's voice shines through from, like I said, an individual sense, Right. This is purely Rick Wakeman. Yes. This is purely Bill Bruford, blah, blah, blah. Uh, how that uh, plays into the collaborative tracks and see how they all blend together perfectly. And uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a, a great album to analyze and study and just enjoy too because it's just really creative, cool, cool, cool music um, when you sit down and give it the attention it deserves. Yeah, yes, it's a, a very unique uh, flavor of soup. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, uh, I had to add the add the ring that back around yeah, and, and put that in there. Yeah. But anyway, um, Does, so yeah, I, I. What's up? I was just gonna say, is that a satisfactory answer? Do you think that yeah people would get why it should should be listened to and that it's it's, yeah. it's unique? Yeah, I I think uh, in, in my personal opinion, why why should somebody should listen to why shouldn't why somebody should listen to uh, to Fragile is to really hear some of the foundational musicians who really brought a genre to a much much bigger stage. And uh, you know, I'm, it's it's funny because on the first ep- the first episode we did Rush and it was 1976, and then we went to 1973, and now we've ended up in 1971 with Fragile. Right. And um, the, the, these five musicians, all all of them paved a very, very good way for a lot of progressive rock musicians, which ultimately opened up the door for a lot of people. Oh, and absolutely. so coming coming to coming to this album, these are five foundational musicians who defined and paved the way for prog rock in their specific instrument, yet alone bands. Yeah. Right, yet alone the genre, yeah. but in their instrument. And it's really interesting because you'll listen to these five guys, and I guarantee it, when you go and listen to prog bands in the future, you know, or, or guys who are, or not, I'm talking in the future from 1971, people who, you know, other bands that played in the late 70s and other bands in the 80s and 90s, and even now, I guarantee you, you're going to hear some of these names when it comes to prog rock. Right. You're going to hear some of these names when it comes to influences and what they heard, 
right. and who they who they draw towards when it comes to their their sound, their style of playing, who they like, um, and the and their writing style. Yeah, and uh, especially uh, Rick Wakeman on keys, of course. Of, like we were saying before, he was he was kind of an architect for prog rock keyboards. You know, there's there's other guys out there that we'll definitely take a look at as well when it came to keyboards and prog. But keyboards were a very very important instrument in progressive rock oh, music yeah absolutely and uh absolutely. and this is this is a very very uh, a big album for progressive rock keyboards so just from a historic standpoint i think listening to this album and educating yourself on that is is really cool i also think honestly why somebody should listen to this album is because it's catchy yeah the the lyric the lyrics are catchy some of the 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 writing and the instrumentation is catchy uh some of the riffs are catchy but also they are uh, it's it's very creative and it's one of the albums that define prog rock. Yeah. Well, it's it truly is. you mentioned that we're going backwards cuz I didn't even really think about that until now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, no, you're absolutely right and just to kind of echo what you had said, this is one of the first, I think. Like you said, a lot of a lot of other prog rock bands draw influence from Yes and I I I would speculate that this album is 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 an influence for them uh maybe not as much as others but uh this was again where i think yes kind of came into their own as a band so uh yeah, yeah. This is so it's early. it's a fun album it's a fun album to sing to and it's a fun album to groove to mm-hmm. yeah you know and so i'll i'm gonna leave i'm gonna leave it at that so <laughs> hey so. guys you know you know thanks for listening you know it's you know, it's, 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 wow. it's, a, it's a pleasure, uh, for us. Are you take, are you stealing my closing? I'm supposed to close this thing. I know. I just kind of want to say, you know, thanks. I never say well, thanks to them. So I just wanted to I say don't... that once and now okay. I'll, I'll All let right. you, All right. I will let you have the conclusion. All right, here we go. Well, here, I'm going to go ahead and start with my conclusion. So, well, thank you. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> These are our prog notes. We hope you learned something new about this album or inspired you to check it out for the first time. Um, I would personally, we would personally love to hear, if you've never heard this album before, go check it out and email us your thoughts about it. Email us at prognotespodcast at gmail.com to let us know what you liked. Maybe you didn't like. I'd love to hear uh, about your, you know, your specific thoughts. If, you, if you've never listened to prog or haven't gotten into prog music, and email us. Tell us tell us what you thought of these albums. So I've been Dustin Farah, stated by Drew Brown. Join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of progressive rock drew yes what is the next album that is going to be coming next on this show oh gosh i forgot what was next i think it's i'm pretty sure it's sergeant pepper's lonely hearts for man sergeant pepper's that's gonna be a big one guys you're gonna enjoy that i think guys like oh i think also because most people have heard that i think a lot of people even if you haven't heard of prog rock you've heard this one but you will be interested to hear why we classify that as progressive rock absolutely thanks for listening guys and we'll see you next time <laughs>